All right, gang, welcome back to Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of ex-video store guys who just love talking about movies. I'm CJ Talbot, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Cesar Alejandro Jr. Say hi, Cesar. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello, all you listeners. Hi, Cesar. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. Good. How are things, how are things over in California? Uh, good, good. The weather is finally turned into something that resembles Southern California weather. Yeah, well, not just warm, but I mean, like, last week we had a lot of overcast days, um, and we had some, some, a little bit of light rain and just overall dreariness, which is uncharacteristic. So we're back to uh, dry, blue skies, sunshine, uh, and wind. So so today uh, we're going to be talking about John Landis' Spies Like Us. Uh, but before that, um, Cesar, what have you been watching? Um, well, you know, uh, typically we save this spot for movies that we enjoyed <laughs> or, um, haven't watched recently yet. Um, Doesn't, hey, there's, there's no rules here. Yeah, generally I'm just saying that's, that's, that's our format. It has been. Um, yesterday I had the, um, unfortunate circumstance to watch Never Back Down from 2008. And I thought it was... The one with Amber Heard and Terrence Howard? Uh, Terrence Howard is not in it. It's Wait. got Jaime Hanso. Oh, that's right. Uh, Terrence Howard is in the Channing Tatum one, which is called Fighting. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, Amber Heard is in this one. Who's, who's, the, in, uh, who's in this one? The first one. Because there's three Never Back Downs, right? Yeah, well, it's got uh, Jaiman Hanso. Right. Amber Heard. Uh, yeah, Evan Peters. Um, Evan Peters? He's not one of the fighters, is he? Uh, well, he's learning how to fight. Wow. Quicksilver. Um, he doesn't, doesn't really have a fight scene or anything, I guess. Um, and then two guys, one guy's named Cam Gigandet. I don't remember what the other dude's name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, Cam I remember because he... Um, he was in a bunch of other uh, movies after that. Now, was he? A, they both look like they could be like Twilight kids. I don't know if that's. Oh, I don't know. I've never seen any of the Twilight movies. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we watched them. Obviously, you know, being Suncoast employees, we watched them over and over again in the store. So, like, I know the story and the characters, but as far as the actors, aside from uh, uh, Kristen. Stewart and Robert Pattinson, like, I'm a little shady on who's in it. Yeah. So, I mean, these, I mean, I guess they're, like, those type of kids that look like they could be in those those type of movies, I guess. Yeah, they're pretty boys. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, ostensibly, the movie's basically kind of, like, Karate Kid, but, like, way, way shittier. <laughs> who's Mr. Miyagi? Uh, I guess Jaime Hanso, kind of. Because he's, he's the guy that kind of teaches this... Uh, Whatever this kid, he's like from a working class family, but he moves to like this town where all these um, rich kids, and for some reason there was like a fight club, and the rich kids um, study MMA. Um, so he get he gets bullied, and he's got to like learn how to fight to defend himself. But it really sucked. <laughs> is there a uh, is there an arc where like someone has to learn that like being rich doesn't hand you everything on a platter, and you have to work hard to be a winner? 
Uh, well, I mean, I guess that's that might be a sub lesson that the guy learned. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's the guy that his fam- he's the guy that doesn't come from anywhere. Okay. His his family's working class, but like, you know, it does one of those things where they, uh, you know, he ends up beating like this rich kid who's been bullying him and like doing some pretty like criminal stuff. Yeah. That's the and, Cam character, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, there's a scene <laughs> at the end of the film, like this guy. Okay, I'm just gonna say what happens in this film. Okay, Evan Peters. Spoiler he's, alert. Um, yeah, he's a rich kid um, who also he wants to learn MMA, but he's kind of like desperate. He wants he wants to be friends with like the Cam Giga that character. So, um, but he ends up making friends with the other kid and learning how to um, how to fight, so to speak. So, um, Kevin Gigan Day, he's got the reputation being, like, the best fighter in the area for, like, these little fight club underground um, arena things. And basically, he and um, the other guy does not want to fight him because his, uh, Jaime Hanso kind of forbids fighting outside of the ring. Right. Outside of that. Um, so, basically, Kevin Gigan Day, he kind of, like, invites Evan Peters to his house under the pretense of friendliness, and then he, like, puts him in the hospital. Ooh. <laughs> like, uh... And then, so, like, that kind of spurs him to fight, but he gets his teacher's blessing before he beats the shit out of this guy. So, like, he does this kind of stuff, and at the end of, at the, end of the movie, of course, uh, the, the guy you expect to win wins. And then, like, there's a scene, like, the next day, presumably, where they're at school, and, like, both of them just look at each other and nod. Like, everything's cool now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is this, is this how it works in Southern California? Yeah. I was like, mm, wouldn't it's been, this movie was basically kind of like if you mix like the worst parts of the Fast and Furious franchise, um, wrapped it with like the soundtrack from Pac Sun, and uh, <laughs> made it like you know starring models from Abercrombie and Fitch. So nice. I uh, uh, while you really bad. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it, man. I've seen the trailer. <laughs> Um, I was looking up, uh, cause I couldn't remember where Cam Giganay, uh, is what he's from. Um, but he, he actually is in Twilight. That was a great call. Um, but he was in, what's that guy, other kid's name? Uh, his name was like Taylor or Tyler or something. It doesn't matter. Don't watch Never Back Down, everyone. <laughs> uh, Sean Ferris plays the main character, Jake Tyler. Oh, okay. I know Sean Ferris. He ruined one of my favorite uh, franchises. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was it? Well, there's a there's a series of fighting games called King of Fighters. Ah. And he plays the main character in the movie, which is like an affront to nature. So he's not he's over two in my book. <laughs> well, yeah, I was trying to remember what I what I saw Cam Giganay. Um, Featured prominently in, and uh, it was Easy A with Emma Stone. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and he was also in that movie that I didn't see called Bad Johnson. I don't know that. Do you remember the DVD cover? It was like it was like him with his shirt off and like opening up his like pants or something, and there was like a little teeny man coming out of the pants. No. Like his Johnson had a uh, mind of its was, own. Was it human? Yeah, but I guess. I mean, it seems pretty fucking ridiculous, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, I, this movie did not spur me to explore either of their filmographies further. Let's no. just say that. 
So, but I figure, you know, that's what I watched most recently. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you subjected yourself to that. Uh, did you but not see did. Incredibles 2? Not yet. Uh, I ended up working on the weekend, so I didn't really have a Oh, wow, okay. Well, I, yeah, I mean... I have uh, a day or two off uh, um, after today, so I might, I'm going to try to watch it uh, as soon as I can. But, I, but since... Uh, um, I guess... Uh, How about Hereditary? Did you see that? No, I haven't, I haven't been to the movies in two weeks, so... Wow, okay, alright. Well, then I, I don't want to talk about either one of those, then. Sorry, guys. Okay, <laughs> I guess we're just going to skip CJ's part. Sorry, <laughs> gang. <laughs> but I saw Hereditary and Incredibles 2 and uh, would have been happy to discuss them, but I certainly don't want to spoil anything for you, Cesar. Oh, that's um, okay. Uh, well, the only, the the only other... I'll never back down for you. Yeah, that's all right. I'm cool. Um, I did rewatch Double Indemnity, uh, Billy Wilder's uh, terrific film noir starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck and Edward G. Robinson uh, just the other night. So, uh, you know, that's pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, if you've never seen it, uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing film filled with uh, uh, firecracker dialogue um, by Billy Wilder himself and Raymond Chandler, uh, who is famous for writing the uh, Philip Marlowe uh, detective stories, very pulpy writer. Um, and, uh, th yeah, there's a lot of great dialogue in it. And it's about an insurance salesman who falls in love with, uh, another man's wife. Uh, this other man's wife played by Barbara Stanwyck, uh, has, uh, ideas to kill her husband and the insurance salesman is sort of pulled into that plot and helps her, uh, kill her husband and, uh, Hot on their trail is his co-worker, who is a claims investigator, played by Edward G. Robinson. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the plot is about whether or not he will ultimately catch them in the end. Uh, so, uh, really, really good. I highly recommend it. Uh, you know, it is a 1930s uh, film, so I know, you know it's black and white. You know, it's a little bit more stiff, you know, acting-wise. But, you know, we've talked about... Uh, at, at length, we did an episode on the Maltese Falcon. Uh, Double Indemnity and the Maltese Falcon are kind of the two sort of like uh, focal points for like the beginning of American film noir as a movement. Um, you know, as far as, you know, films that are like fully formed film noirs right out of the gate um, that, that influenced so many other things. Uh, so uh, it's important on that level. Uh, but it's really just a fun movie with with some really fucked up shit in it, uh, and Barbara Stanwyck is is pretty amazing in it. Uh, her performance is pretty great, so highly recommend Double Indemnity. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I think the last time I watched it was when uh, I guess they released uh, maybe ten or twelve years ago. At this point, they released uh, Universal. I guess released that two disc DVD set. Yeah, which I don't own. I actually watched it on like the original. Um, God, it, I think it's Universal, um, but it's it's got the cardboard flip cover. It might be Image then, I guess. Um, and uh, like, yeah. it's got some pretty great artwork on the front, though. Mm -hmm. So, but I'd I'd love to see it. I know they projected it. They did a like Turner Classic Movies did like a what do they call it? Like a Fandor event a couple of years ago, where they put it back in theaters for a couple of days, and I did not catch that. So, you know, being close enough to L.A., if I see anybody actually projecting it on film, I, I definitely would want to go and see it projected. Well, um, that's, that's, uh, those are the type of movies that um, revivals are made for. Yeah, absolutely.
yeah, it's and it's got it's got a terrific um, ending. Uh, very, you know, it actually has a great beginning too. That's reminiscent of Sunset Boulevard, which is another Billy Wilder uh, film noir. Um, but I don't want to spoil it outright. So, uh, so watch watch Sunset Boulevard and watch Double Indemnity. Yes. And there you have it. <laughs> cool. Um, so hey, let's get into Spies Like Us, though. Um, you know, this is. Uh, John Landis's 1985 comedy starring Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. Um, Cesar, uh, you have seen Spies Like Us previously. Um, you know, is this something that you uh, were a big fan of as a kid? Did you see it in the movie theater? Did you catch it on home video? How did you come across this originally? Uh, well, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people from our generation who probably have a similar experience. Um, but... Uh... As a kid, Spies Like Us is a movie I saw on VHS, but it was a VHS uh, that was recorded, the movie was recorded off of HBO. Okay. So it was one of those uh, tapes with like, uh, um, you know, you had typically like two or three movies written on like an EP um, blank cassette with a couple titles, you know, written on the spine. I'm sure yeah. a lot of people of a certain age would know exactly what I'm talking about. I think I have a box of those I can dig through with, like, Superman 2 and the Beastmaster and Star Wars on them. Yeah, the thing I remember about Spies Like Us is that uh, it was it was in a, uh, I guess it was two films on that tape. But it was Spies Like Us and Friday the 13th, Jason Takes Manhattan. Nice. That was a pretty interesting uh, double. <laughs> but, like, I guess uh, that was my first experience. Um, I probably hadn't seen it maybe like 25, more than 25 years though. I saw it when I was quite young. Um, but I remember enjoying, enjoying it. And, certain, and when I was rewatching it, there were certain scenes in a movie that, uh, that I, that, um, I recalled, but, uh, just as, but even more so that I seemed brand new to me, you know, the reason I chose this film, of course, was because, you know, it deals with, uh, you know, I guess like the cold war, nuclear disarmament, yeah, a couple other things that were kind of uh, um, relevant uh, within the last couple of weeks in, in world news. <laughs> no. Yeah, a, um, yeah, yeah. I, it's a film. I, I mean, I remember enjoying, but one I thought would be a good one to revisit. Yeah, for me, I hadn't really watched it in a long time too. Um, I remember it, this was a staple of like late '80s HBO. So, like, you had a VHS tape that was recorded off HBO. I just remember catching it on TV a hell of a lot. Um, and, you know, I've always been a, a big fan of, uh, of Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. So, yeah, I remember really liking this movie as a kid. Uh, it's, it's been a while. Um, I, think, I think Chelsea and I watched it, like, a year ago or so. Oh, for um, real? Yeah, I think I think it was about a year ago we rewatched it, but I think she fell asleep. I can't remember. I'm sure she'll correct me on that. Um, but I don't think we got through the whole movie for some reason. So it was it was nice to to you know to go back and and revisit it. Um, you mentioned that this was a Cold War movie. I I um I think it's you know obviously just like it's tough for people to sort of put these things into historical context when you're talking about like a 1950s uh, you know Soviet era Cold War movie or an, or a 60s Soviet era spy like Cuban Missile Crisis movie or whatever but like you know I grew up in a time period when you know 
going to war with Russia or the Soviet Union, as it was at, at that moment, uh, was a very real possibility. That there was tension still, you know, uh, up until really up until the wall came down, um, and uh, and it was just you know so in the 1980s a lot of these movies whether they were comedies or straight thrillers or um, even sort of like secret agent thrillers like a lot of the James Bond movies you know have uh, have ties to uh, the sort of allies versus the Axis power kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I mean, this, this was stuff that was on the forefront of people's mind. It was on the news every day. You know, were, were we going to go to war with Russia? What was Russia up to? Uh, sorry, the Soviet Union. I keep calling them Russia. Um, <laughs> well, I guess they're Russia's. They're Russia's that's, that's what were those commies up to? Um, you know, so I, I just wanted to put that in context for people because, it, you know, if you're, if you're a younger person and you're coming to – if you're coming at these 80s movies without that historical context – it just a lot of it may just seem silly, um, although, like you said, recent events may not may put it into a, a little bit better context. But, um, but it, you know that that threat was very real back then. You know, I mean, they, yeah, uh, when the wall came down, you know, I was still quite young, so I wouldn't say I was fully cognizant. But I grew up, uh, but I definitely grew up uh, as a kid. You know, seeing that stuff on the news too. Yeah, um, you know, not necessarily being able to like, comprehend it is a different matter, but. I'm aware of like what the world was like at the time. So cool. like, uh, it's not exactly the same as your experience, I guess. Like, I, we didn't do like uh, like drills or anything. Uh, not that I remember anyway. But um, I remember, you know, like them telling us to get under our desks during drills and stuff like that. Like that would have done anything anyway. But you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of '80s movies. You know, like uh, Firefox with Clint Eastwood is about like him being like an American agent and, you know, going into the Soviet Union, stealing some high-tech airplane that was going to defeat the United States, but we had to steal it first so we could get it and beat the Russians or the yeah. commies or whatever. Um, and, you know, so you know, War Games, which is something we've talked about a number of times over the 30-plus episodes we've done now, yeah. you know, is one of my favorites. And, and certainly yeah, the Russians are not the villain in that movie, but the plot of the film is about... You know, essentially, if this happens, what will Russia do, you know, in retaliation, which means then we will have to retaliate. And it was just mutually assured destruction is something you heard a lot in the 80s. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, we were the two superpowers, the Soviet Union and the United States. Um, so, like, all this sort of, like, you know, uh, satellite technology and, and uh, the quote-unquote Star Wars missile defense system and things like that. Like, that was a very real thing. That wasn't, like, James Bond stuff. That was, like, happening. So, <laughs> yeah, Star Wars defense, right? That's uh, actually something that uh, we tackle. Yeah. In this film, so. Well, I remember, um, I don't know if it ever went to court or anything, but I think George Lucas had threatened to sue over them using Star Wars defense, at, you know, as a as a name for, like, their their missile system. You guys can't do it. Reagan, you're the empire. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I, think it, I think it was, like, one of those things where it was like, George, you cannot sue these people. Like, it's the government. Like, they will squash you. <laughs> but still, I, I like to think of George Lucas in court saying, Star Wars is all mine. <laughs> is that what he sounds like? I don't know. 
he, he does kind of have a voice like this, you know. And when he talks, he kind of talks a little bit, you know. He's got this going on, and, you know, he kind of mumbles a little bit here and there. And Maybe yeah. it sounds a little better to your ear than mine, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, anyway, so let's start talking about Spies Like Us. Um, do you know anything about, like, how this movie came about? Um, well, I did... I. I read uh, maybe a little bit about the movie. There's a little bit on um, like the DVD. It's an old Warner Brothers uh, Amory. No, not Amory. One of those cardboard um, clip clip boxes. Right. Um, but there's a little bit of background on the film, and apparently, like uh, this film was written originally uh, for uh, um, John Belushi in uh, the role, uh, which would be played by Chevy Chase. Right. Uh, he and Ackroyd. Um, it was written by Ackroyd and Landis, I guess, if I remember right. Um, but uh, I guess like the script was purchased and languished uh, in whatever company had it originally before Warner Bros. picked up the rights to uh, to produce the film, just this time with Chevy Chase in it. Yeah, that, uh, well, that... it was after the Blues Brothers, Ackroyd started writing a bunch of projects that would have starred both him and John Belushi. Um most of those obviously did not happen because uh, Belushi died. Uh, at one point, Joe Piscopo, uh, who was big on SNL at the time, was supposed to be the co-star. And it's a little, like, I did a little reading, but, like, it was very unclear as to why Joe Piscopo left the project. Uh, but when he did, Chevy Chase came in, and Chevy Chase was apparently pretty active in the writing process initially as well, as far as them kind of rewriting dialogue and setting up gags for both characters. Um, and uh, and Chevy certainly, you know, Ackroyd seems to be a very generous kind of uh, performer or writer uh, or both. Uh, but, you know, Chase certainly gets the best of the comedic stuff in the movie. But yeah, so, you know, this, this is something that started like in 1981. Uh, it got shelved when Belushi died. Um, Warner Brothers kind of dusted it off after Ghostbusters was a huge hit. You know, that basic... Because Ackroyd, aside from Blues Brothers, had really not been... Like, he he was the main star of Dr. Detroit, but that did not... It didn't bomb, but it did not do well. Um, and so when Ghostbusters hit and Ackroyd was, like, in the biggest movie, you know, of that year, uh, Warner Brothers was like, oh, you know, let's get this back up and running and, and make Spies Like Us. Um, and so they brought John Landis in and, uh, you know, Landis himself was in a pretty dark place. Um, for, for those listeners who don't know, uh, John Landis is one of the, uh, many directors who was involved in the Twilight Zone movie. And he directed the segment where, uh, the helicopter accident happened and actor Vic Morrow, Morrow was killed. And Landis took the brunt of that. Uh, the other directors, the other producers on the movie mostly came away unscathed. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether this is true, but the the things that I've heard kind of point to, like Spielberg, apparently, who was also uh, a, a major force on that film, apparently left the country uh, because he was afraid of being prosecuted uh, for, the, for the Twilight Zone incident. Uh, so, but Landis stayed, and Landis, you know, ultimately went to court um, – and so this was kind of in the middle of that, like after the incident, but before they took him to court. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting because uh, 
Uh, I got a quote here. He did an interview with Empire Magazine in 2016. And this is what he said on the matter. He said, Spies Like Us was in the middle of the Twilight Zone aftermath. It's a horror story. Warner Brothers, who made the Twilight Zone, were acting despicably. But there was this project, which Danny Aykroyd uh, had originated, which the studios sent to me. And I was thinking, Warner Brothers, fuck them. But my attorney said, you have to make this movie. Because, you know, a lot of the studio positions will be obviously false if they give you $20 million to go make a movie right now. So that's what happened. I was sort of reluctant, but then I read the script and realized here was an opportunity to do a road picture. In fact, Bob Hope is in the movie. So, uh, you know, that whole kind of like behind the scenes story related to Twilight Zone and, and, and everything is, uh, is really fascinating to me. Uh, and, and I, I heard um, a different anecdote um, on the 80s All Over podcast with Drew McWheeney. Um, where he was talking about his time working on uh, the Showtime series Masters of Horror, and John Landis had directed an episode, and even then, this was this is well past a you know this is almost two decades later, and people apparently on set were still giving him a hard time about the Twilight Zone. Uh, so this is something that has kind of hung around him like an albatross, you know, ever since that incident, and it's amazing to me that he was able to sort of like still make a couple of really good movies after that. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's something that definitely taints a career. And, you know, I guess, um, who knows where, like, the real fault lies. I mean, I guess we know Jenner, we know what, um, what legalities, you know, came away with in terms of, like, uh, responsibility. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was a tragedy, like, absolutely. But uh, you're... It's, it is surprising for him to uh, still have a career. And, you know, like you said, you took the brunt of it. Like, who were, it was besides Spielberg. Who else was involved in the movie? Was, uh, uh, George Miller and um, oh, I can't remember the other directors offhand. Mm. But Spiel, Spielberg was the other, like, executive producer with Landis on the movie. So it, it, it happened during Landis's segment. So ultimately, you know, I understand why Landis got the, you know, the full force of it. You know, he was overseeing the production. Um, but there were other producers who were involved, and Landis is really the only one who just got smeared by the whole thing. Do you feel that he, he kind of got um, thrown under the bus a bit too? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do, but I, I certainly think, you know, listen – Stunt work is different now than it used to be, and and in in the eighties, if you look at Landis's other movies, especially Blues Brothers, that guy crashed a bunch of shit together. <laughs> I mean, there's some pretty serious, dangerous things happening in 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 some of his movies, especially the the car chase in Blues Brothers. So yeah, maybe he works a little fast, maybe he works a little reckless, maybe maybe he was at fault. You know, but at the same time, one person does not, you know, run a production. Yeah, accident like that doesn't like occur because of like one one failure. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a tragedy. You know, I mean, yeah, we should mention not people just died. Vic Morrow, so not just Vic Morrow uh, died, but uh, two young children died too. Right. So yeah. We don't want to just leave that out, I guess. Um, so I mean, wow, this uh, <laughs> this conversation took a, a turn towards. Uh, dark there a bit yeah well um 
sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> sorry, kids. <laughs> Let's turn it back around. <laughs> um, so do you have any favorite scenes from Spies Like Us? What were the scenes that you remembered from it as a kid? I'm curious. Definitely like the, the, um, the test scene. Um, yeah. The um, and that also contains uh, a number of great uh, lines from Chevy Chase specifically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Besides that, <laughs> well, the, the one that you were quoting before we started recording. What are you talking about? We, re we record like right away, don't we? We never have any <laughs> back and forth previous. What, li what line was it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the one about, uh, I'm going to let you do it. Do it. I'm not going to now because, like, uh, you said that it was the one you wanted to say. So it's yours now. On air, it's yours. Uh, I believe the line is, uh, sorry I'm late. I had to attend the reading of a will. I had to stay until the very end when I found out that I received nothing. Broke my arm. <laughs> I don't do it justice. I, I mean, I, personally, he, you know, he's he's got a bad reputation in the press for being very difficult to work with and being just, a, to be honest, a general asshole is, is the way that uh, the stories go. Um, you know, and, and I know, uh, him getting sort of written out of community was a big thing, but I, I mean, I think Chase is a fucking genius. I think he is so goddamn funny. Um, and when you, when you look at his early eighties career, I mean, I, I think he, I think he has a better run of movies than Bill Murray. He's got a better run of movies, you know, than just about anybody. I mean, maybe Eddie Murphy's there with him, but um, you know, I mean, you've got stuff like, like Fletch and Spies Like Us and at, like one of my favorites is It Seems Like Old Times. I love that movie. Um, Caddyshack. I, I mean, like every, Vacation. I mean, who can forget fucking Vacation? Clark Griswold's one of the great characters in comedy history. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people prefer Christmas Vacation, and to be honest, I think I prefer Christmas Vacation, but the original Vacation is just hilarious, you know, and, uh, and he's great in it, Beverly D'Angelo's great in it, the kids are great in it, Anthony Michael Hall is terrific in it, um, but yeah, I mean, Chevy Chase was just a, you know, a hit machine. Um, yeah, pretty iconic, certainly, like, in the 80s, too, I mean, like, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of Community, and, you know, I always, uh, when I was watching, when the show was on the air, I would buy the DVDs and I would listen to the commentaries on, on the show. So, like, they, you know, Chevy Chase is very infrequently on those commentaries, but, like, Dan Harmon, the creator of the series, and a lot of the castmates would always give anecdotes about, like, Chevy Chase being a dick. Oh, yeah? On the commentaries. <laughs> they would always kind of say it jokingly, um, of course. But, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there's got to be that basis. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, he comes off like, you know, I mean, even in his characters, there, there is, there are moments where he comes off as being sort of like a, a pompous jerk. Yeah, certainly. Um, so it, it, it's not that hard to believe that he is in real life, but it's still a little bit heartbreaking, you know, because yeah. cause he's so funny. I really, I really, on screen, uh, he, he is uh, just a genius. Oh, uh, well, you know, this, I don't, they say never meet your uh, idols, you know, so. Yeah with that in this case yeah but that that scene that you're talking about the uh the exam scene the foreign service exam with frank oz as the uh, oz the, the administrator uh yeah. that scene's so good um, what's, the, what's the line he says to frank he's like uh would you mind if uh 
Would you mind holding my wallet? There's a thousand dollars in it, or maybe there isn't. You can catch my drift. <laughs> Frank Oz is cast perfectly in that role. Actually, like he's so saying, good. Are you saying I can have? I can take the money in this wallet if I let you pass the test? <laughs> maybe. Wait, does he say maybe? Is that the line? I can't remember. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I think Frank Oz just doesn't say anything though. He just like puts the wallet in Chase's pocket and like, and then Chase is like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> that that's one of the things that I love about Chevy Chase is that like he he can rebound from disappointment so quickly, but like he it's written all over his face every time. So like I I actually really really love the gag earlier in the movie where he's telling the. Uh, his coworker that he's got uh, a lunch date with their boss to get out of the exam and it cuts to them in bed together, which is no surprise. And, uh, and she's like, um, Fitz, you know, like, I'm surprised that you would do this. You know, like, of course you have to take the exam. You know, did you think that, you know, if, if we slept together that, you know, that I would let you get off and, and, and like his response is like, well, no, not now. <laughs> So he's just so deadpan about it. Oh, um, I think we got ahead of ourselves too. Um, do you want to explain what this movie is about? What's the plot of this? Movie? <laughs> <laughs> right into like gags. Sure, I can do that. Um, all right. Well, Spies Like Us is uh, essentially about two low-level government employees who both would like to be. Uh, uh, higher up in the food chain, you know, they, the, we talked about the foreign service exam. Both of them are interested in taking that and moving on to bigger, better things. Um, and, uh, they're both, I don't know, idiots is a strong word. Um, <laughs> but the, the government basically uses these guys and sends them on a mission with the intention of having them bun bungle it. Um, and, uh, to be decoys for the Russian or the Soviets so that a different team of people can actually execute the real mission. Um, and uh, we find out late in the movie like what that mission really is. Uh, the movie starts with uh, uh, like a Soviet ICBM missile coming through the forest. It's very sort of menacing and Cold War-y. And, and, uh, and, and so we, we know it has something to do with them sort of dismantling a nuclear bomb or or, or stealing it or something. Uh, but what we don't know until the very end is that essentially they're supposed to trigger uh, and launch this weapon against their own country in order to secretly test a missile defense system, which of course doesn't work and you know they have to find another way to uh, avert nuclear war. Um, but you know, hilarity ensues for about 45 minutes of the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this movie runs out of steam. I really do. I, I like this movie a lot. I remember liking this as a kid. Um, but I think, I think the first 45 minutes to an hour is really good. And I think the last half hour has very few laughs and it's got a lot of like, uh, you know, like government mechanism to it, you know, with the, the drive in theater becoming the missile defense thing. And, um, uh, you know, it, that, that, it, Joel it, Cohen. 
Yeah. Yeah, Sam Raimi and Joel Cohen. There's a lot of directors cameoing this movie. Martin Brest. Yeah. Uh, I had a list of them somewhere, but... Uh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, it's a, it's a Cold War, you know... It's called Spies Like Us, but they're not really spies. Well, I think they're talking about <laughs> how spies like them, like they enjoy their company. Oh, yeah? Right? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, one scene I'm, a, I'm a, a pretty big fan of is uh, they, they arrive in um, Afghanistan. And, like, uh, I guess, like, they get surrounded by, like, uh, I guess, like, the local militia. And they say, oh, and Chevy Chase says something like, they're... Um, they're Afghani freedom fighters. They're on our side. And they're then it cuts to them being hung by their feet. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, a pretty good line, I guess, where they meet like their so-called contacts, um, which turn out to be like uh, like KGB agents. But like the the Russians are dressed like California prep boy, preppy boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the desert, wearing like sweaters tied around like their shoulder, hanging over their shoulders and stuff. I was like, they might as well have been, like, dressed like cowboys. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, James Doughton and Jim Stahl play those two uh, Soviet uh, agents. Uh, that Bob something and Bud something. Bob and Bud. I think it's funny because, like, you know, one of, the, one of the great bits that Eddie Murphy always did in his stand-up comedy was, like, the white voice. Like, the idea of, like, you, you know, uh, changing your voice to sound like a white man. And uh, which is also like the subject of that movie coming out this summer. Um, oh God, what is it called? Sorry to bother you. Um, oh yeah. Uh, but those two guys, who are in fact white, of course, are are but they're Soviets trying to do an American accent. And every time they talk in those early scenes, all I can think about is Eddie Murphy's stand up about the white voice, uh, because it's totally like they're totally doing that voice like this. Like, come on over here, guys. We're your friends. Um, <laughs> Eddie Murphy's also got that pretty famous Saturday Night Live sketch where he wanders around um, New York. Yeah. He's done up uh, like um, as a white man. And he finds like there's a secret underground world yeah. <laughs> that exists exists for white folk. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Man, maybe one day I'll see it. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> um but yeah, this got a a pretty good supporting cast um of people that aren't like aside from like Bernie Casey, most of the people are like not huge stars, like, but but they're just perfectly cast. Like Steve Forrest as like one of the generals, he's great. He actually reminds me of the character that Sterling Hayden plays, uh, General Turgenson in Doctor Strangelove. Like he just like for whatever reason he just reminds me of that a lot. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's uh, an influence. Certainly. Yeah, uh, and uh, well, there's certainly a little bit of Doctor Strangelove in this movie. Sure, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then you got like uh, Bruce Davison and William Prince as the two um, government bureaucrats who are involved in the plot to like do this yeah, as well. They're the CIA. I think it's DIA is like what they use in the movie, right? Isn't that? Or is that that's where Dan Aykroyd works at DIA, right? Uh, I think that's right. I thought it was CIA, but. They're in the CIA, but I think Dan Aykroyd works for the DIA, which is like part of the Pentagon. 
but they're great. Like William Prince in particular, like he has that very like upper crustness to him, um, where he doesn't have to be as much of a dick as Bruce Davison, who is a complete dick. Uh, <laughs> in the movie, he does like. Uh... Um, thank God you're here. They kidnapped us. <laughs> right. Well, like early in the movie when the guy comes with the briefcase in the very beginning with like the satellite photos of the missile. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, it's not your fault. You're stupid. <laughs> that's that's why. Isn't that the same guy who plays um the senator in the X-Men movies? Bruce. Bruce Davison. Davison, isn't he the guy who plays uh, the senator in the first X-Men that, like, becomes, like, that becomes a mutant because of Magneto's plan? I think that's a different guy. That's a different guy, I think. It's, uh, pretty... No way. I'm going to check. That's definitely the same guy. <laughs> All right. I'm looking that up, too. <laughs> it was Senator something. Kelly. Senator Kelly. Yep, it is. Same guy. Bam! Yeah, I guess you win. Yes. It doesn't happen often, so I will relish it. Um, Do you know what happens to a toad that's struck by lightning? (laughs) That's one of the worst superhero lines in history. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) It really is. Poor Ray Park. Um, But I I love the cast for this. Uh, Donna Dixon is really great as Karen, who is one of the other GLG-20s, who's the actual, like, you know, the the A team, I guess you could say. Um, but she's uh, she was married to Dan Aykroyd. She was in Doctor Detroit. Um, but she has she has a great quality. She's very kind of uh, I mean, sexy is obviously a uh, maybe may too simple. Um, but uh, she she has a very kind of like you know, sultry quality. Like her scenes with Chevy Chase uh, are really good, especially when she's when trying he, to convince him to do the operation. Uh, when, he, when he does some honks. Yeah, yeah. The pair honks. Yeah, her reactions to him, though, are, are brilliant. And I love that scene because uh, the first time you see it, you don't know that she's a government agent. Mm-hmm. She's just a doctor. And, uh, and then when you watch it again, and knowing that she's a government agent, it's so easy to see that she's just simply manipulating him. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but the first time you don't necessarily get that, but it works both ways. So, and hey, there's ninjas in this movie. Yeah, there are. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> when when I was rewatching it, I was like, "Hey, ninjas! It is a 1980s movie. <laughs> ninjas were everywhere." What's the what's the line? Chibi Chase does. Here's a picture of my sister. <laughs> my oh, very good. <laughs> I I love the. Uh, he's like, all right, stop right there, and I'll bring back the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that scene, along with uh, a couple other ones, really illustrates the difference. I think between the the Fitzhume character and the um, what's Ackroyd's character? Um, Austin Milbarge is that. Is that right? Um, but like, you know, Milbarge is actually a much more capable agent. He's he's intelligent. Um, you know, so he's got some language training, uh, and he's got a little bit of a backbone. Whereas the 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 Fitzhume character does not. 
And I love in that scene where he's like, for God's sake, show some balls. And Chase says, I think it's too late to try and impress them. <laughs> I think when that comes out so quick, it's such, a, it's such a good line. I know, but Chase is so great about that. Um, and I love Aykroyd in this movie too, but I'm just going to gush about Chase because uh, like, he's got all the best bits. He really does. Sure, that's true. I mean, you can't really like... Um, that's definitely the more memorable stuff. Aykroyd's got some great stuff too. I mean, like the appendectomy scene. Yeah. It's pretty solid. Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I love that. He's like, do you want to do the operation? <laughs> Come over here and do the operation. I was probing for, what is it? Muscle tone and skeletal girth. It's and a new technique. <laughs> and bone density. <laughs> yeah, that. It's like, like, you're going to cut his chest. Did I cut his chest? <laughs> Did you see me cut his chest? <laughs> Aykroyd is like, I think... I think it's easy to forget how versatile of an actor he is um, because, he, you know, he can certainly do that, like, upper crust, pompous, trading places kind of a character. And then he can turn around and do a Ray Stance or an Austin Milbarge where he's just so much more affable and, and, and uh, you know, I don't know. But it, I, I just I, – I, I, think, I, I think he really – I don't know whether it was by his doing or or whatever, but I, I think his career could have been different. He could have been more of a Robin Williams type that you know, or a Jim Carrey that kind of like went into much more dramatic stuff. You know, I, I think he had the range and the ability and the talent to to do a lot more diverse movies. Uh, and whether it was by choice or not, he you know he pretty much stuck with comedy, with few exceptions like My Girl and Driving Miss Daisy and stuff like that, but. Um, but I, I like Aykroyd a lot, but you know, he just doesn't get the best gags in this movie. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, as a writer, you probably, you probably saved it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like I said, I, you know, I think, I think he's just like a super generous guy. Like, you know, he comes up with concepts and he's, he's a real, you know, most people know this. He, he's a conspiracy theorist himself. He's a tech head. Um, so a lot of the things like, with Ghostbusters and with this movie and all the stuff. Yeah, he can really spit out techno babble, you know, about as good as anybody can. And that scene where the, uh, is it an admiral or something, that, or, or captain, that comes down to his workplace, and that's when you get the reveal that the test is the next day and he hasn't studied because the guy's a dickhead. Um, but, like, you know, he's like, did you decode this, like, Chinese thing and... Um, and I don't know the line, but he has this line where he's like, they're only using a 20 bit encryption with, you know, this and that and the other thing and blah, 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 blah. And it just, it rolls off of his tongue. Like, cause he really does know that stuff. He's like steeped in, in like tech, you know, stuff. So like, you know, he's, he's got a talent for that, that I don't think, you know, it's, it's very different from what Bill Murray or Chevy Chase or, or, or Eddie Murphy could do. Yeah. Much different quality. It's like, uh, slow down and pretend I don't have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, he's the one that ends up saving a day, though, really. Sure, yeah. Well, because, I mean, Chase is dumb. The, the, the Fitzhume character is, I mean, I, 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 I love both characters. I really do. Um, but, uh, like, the, the Chase character, you can see immediately. Like, we're introduced to him as... 
you know, uh, exactly what people think government employees are doing, which is wasting taxpayer dollars. We're introduced to him with his feet up on his desk, watching a Ronald Reagan movie with I headphones so on. Funny. He's sitting there, and it's a musical, <laughs> and then Ronald Reagan just pops up. Yeah. Thinking that was so hilarious. And but like he has some very genuine emotions, like he's enjoying that movie immensely, <laughs> which I love. He but laughed more, like he's laughing really hard when like Reagan does the peekaboo. Right. <laughs> and there's there's pictures of Reagan in this movie everywhere. Like literally, Ronald Reagan looms over this movie personally. Like you know, like it's great. Yeah. Um, but like. You know, we're introduced to him uh, as a low-level, uh, I guess, press secretary. You know, and he, he's got that great scene with the microphone gag, where he's sort of like giving a press conference about uh, Paraguay. Paraguay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and it really just it, it really just shows that he's you know that he's a able communicator, but he's a bit of a slippery character, a bullshit artist kind of thing. In fact. The general calls him a bullshit artist later after they cheat on the test. Yes. Um, so, like, that's, you know, like, they perfectly, you know, introduce him. Uh, and same thing with the Austin Milbarge character. You know, he's establishes him as an intelligent, practical, and savvy person. You know, the idea that he uses that um, a decoder thing found in Lucky Charms to break that Mandarin Chinese code is hilarious. I think uh, there's... Uh... Uh, you, we, were, we were talking about cameos earlier. Uh, who are who are the other cameos that uh, people would recognize in here? BB King. Yeah. BB uh, King is the guy who gets that great line, "Won't you gentlemen have a Pepsi?" Which I think is hilarious. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but you've got you've got a bunch of directors. Frank Oz is maybe my favorite cameo, but um, Joel Cohen, Sam Raimi. Uh, Michael Apted, Martin Brest, Larry Cohen, Costas Gravas is one of the Tetsugi Highway Patrol guys. Uh, Terry Gilliam and Ray Harryhausen are in the Doctor 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 scene, which is funny. Um, and uh, Bob Hope. Yeah, Bob Hope. Uh, yo, uh, you mentioned earlier Landis was looking at doing it like a, a road a road film. Yeah. Yeah. So which is, familiar. I've never seen any of the Bob Hope Bing Crosby Road Two movies. Um, a couple of them I think popped up on Amazon, so I may actually invest some time to watch a couple of them. Sure. Um, but yeah, like personally, like, I don't know how you feel, but I think like once they get out of training, I think, uh, I think the movie's still pretty funny up until they escape, uh, after the operation goes bad and they, they have the sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark-esque chase scene with all the guys on horses and then after that i think the the laughs really die off and and that's still like they you still have 35 minutes of the movie left at that point oh, so you mean like as soon as they hit like siberia or Russia or something? <laughs> yeah i mean and there are funny moments in it i like chase's interrogation scene with the soviets oh for for every minute you don't tell us why you're here i cut off a finger <laughs> yours or mine yours <laughs> darn <laughs> And then the guy slaps him, and he's like, why are you slapping me? He's going to cut off my finger. <laughs> mm. Design. I, you know, I kind of feel the same way. Maybe not as strongly. But I think overall, like, uh, I think, I think the, the movie's pretty solid. 
it definitely isn't as funny as I recalled it being when I was younger. But like like we mentioned earlier, there's a certain there's a surprising relevance to some of current events yeah. uh, of the day that I was really surprised uh, in my viewing for this recording. Definitely. Um, Nuclear disarmament. Yeah. Uh, that's actually the reason I chose it specifically, but I was surprised at how like kind of on the nose it was. Well, it's, you know, I mean, I think in, in a world where that technology exists, it's always going to be a danger. I think it's going to be, you know, constantly about diffusing the bomb, you know, literally. Like, I, you know, I mean, it's, you know, someone's going to get someone's going to get power that we don't want them to have, and and, you know, it's going to take time to settle things down, and then someone else is going to get it, and it's going to take time to settle that down, and, you know, it's just going to be over and over and over and over again, forever, probably. Like, until like, until somebody actually pushes that button and unleashes hell on Earth, you know. Yikes! <laughs> oh, <laughs> let, let me let me turn this darkness into light and say that this movie has one of the best fart gags. <laughs> I I love the it's during the just highlighting how like good that scene is. Yeah, it's, it's during the test scene, and I don't usually love like fart gags. But Landis really, no pun intended, lingers on it, and <laughs> and everyone plays it straight. And the the actor chases like counterpart in the State Department. Uh, his, the actor's name is Jeff Harding. Um, they never give him a name. He's just like, you know, he's just a government agent. Uh, but the Jeff Harding character has to basically like swallow his pride and take credit for it and apologizes to the room, which which makes it worthwhile because if, if it had just been like a a fart and then a bunch of like heavy reactions to it, it wouldn't have been as funny. But I, I think it's funnier because he has to essentially like, you know, take it. Just take it and like it. <laughs> Cause I think a lot of other movies would have just gone bigger with it and there would have been, you know, there there would have been laughs earlier in the scene, like immediately. Uh, but I like that he draws it out. <laughs> like you mentioned about like uh, greatest fart <laughs> jokes. Are there any others? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm not a connoisseur of uh, flatulence humor, but <laughs> oh, we should discuss it. We should, <laughs> all right, guys, I guess I guess gonna make a post in Facebook group about like your jokes about. Yeah, movies, post a YouTube clip of your favorite fart gag. I mean, you know, I really like Jeff Daniels and Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Well, that's really not, like, that's diarrhea, though. <laughs> I don't know. That, that last... That's that last the, the scene part. with him on the toilet? Pretty good. It is. That, mo that movie in general is pretty damn good. I love Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Um, one other thing that I really love, and I, I think this is a really um, smart... Uh, filmmaking choice that that actually aids the humor in the scene. I love that in the middle of the uh, them cheating on the test, that Landis cuts away to the aftermath of the scene. But like when when he puts the Ackroyd and Chase characters in front of a screen and shows them, he leaves different footage for it. 
So, like, all the Ackroyd stuff when he's like, everybody stand back. I am a trained professional. Like, we don't see that live. We see it played back, which I think yeah. I think adds to the humor of the scene. Because you're watching their reactions to, like, how, how, like, obviously they've been caught. Yeah. And I, I think a lesser filmmaker would have just, like, used recycled footage there. But sure. Landis doesn't do that. Um, and he uses angles that couldn't possibly have been, like, captured from, like, the security cameras. Because there's a shot of Chase, like, laying on the floor, just blatantly copying the test. Uh, and the camera's, like, right in his face. Uh, and it, like, when when he cuts to that shot, he then cuts to a reaction of Chevy. And then that's when he turns the TV off. I think that that's it's a good, like, punctuation to that. And William Prince is great in that scene. I love the whole, like, we're not looking for the Boy Scouts. <laughs> or we're not recruiting for the Boy Scouts. Um, he, he really sells the idea to them. You know, like, we especially like the way you two were working as a team. <laughs> uh, why wasn't William Prince in more shit? Like, I looked his IMDb. I don't have it in front of me, but, like, he was he was in a bunch of, like, TV shows and stuff, but he did not have a big movie career. Uh, but he's so good. That's some, sometimes that's your destiny. Yeah, I guess so. Steve Forrest, like, the biggest thing, I looked him up, um, the only thing I remembered him in was The Longest Day, and that was, like, the biggest thing he'd ever been in besides this movie, so. Um... But yeah, yeah, man, I love it. Bernie Casey too. Bernie Casey's got the great fight scene. Like, you know, he's so calm and collected and cool. You know, which is what you expect from Bernie Casey. And when Chevy's like, uh, you know, he's like writing down the evaluation, and Chevy's like, "What does it say?" And Dan Aykroyd says, "Pussy." And he's like, "I don't think that's very fair." <laughs> he's like, "These guys have swords. What are we supposed to do?" And then Bernie Casey. Is like uh, depends on your particular set of skills or something like that. It's like a very like, like Liam Neeson taken quote, and, uh, and and then he just starts beating the shit out of the ninjas, and then he's got that great like at the end of that scene after he kicks the ass of the last ninja, he like looks around like like just in case there's someone else there, like he's still in like killer mode, like I love that a little bit. <laughs> Obviously not as much as I do. <laughs> well i mean that seems good but like i don't know maybe if like that little punctuation glance around yeah. does anything for me mm -hmm. but you know i i do for like me that's the best part i do like the idea that the american military does employ a small regiment of ninja <laughs> yeah i love ninjas <laughs> as as we talked about in our 25th episode yes I wanted to be a ninja. This was probably one of those movies where I was like, damn, ninjas are cool. I can work for the government if I'm a ninja. All right. <laughs> yeah, just make sure, you know, you got good skills. Otherwise. <laughs> and Matt Frewer, uh, I don't know if you caught this, Matt Frewer is one of Bernie Casey's, like, uh, men. Like, the, one of the two guys who's there with him all the time during the training scenes. I didn't. Does he have any lines? Is he in the no. He has no lines at all, but he, like it's for people who don't know who Matt Frewer is. I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff, but like for for children of the '80s, he was Max Headroom. Yeah, was so. he in the end? Like when they broke into like the uh, the drive-in? Was he one of the soldiers there? I don't think so. He's just in the Bernie Casey scenes. Like he's one of the guys holding the flamethrower. Like when they have the suits on, when they burn them. Okay. Um, 
And I love Chase's, uh, when he and Aykroyd go to Bernie Casey and they're like, you know, we want to go home now. Um, Chase has his great line. He says, thanks for the bruises and you can keep the stool samples. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The first the first half, uh, half of this film is much better. <laughs> it really is. I, I like the movie and like I had a good time rewatching it. And the stuff with the Russians is okay. But the, the whole idea that like they they pose as like, space aliens to like lure the Russians in and then tranquilize them. Like, I, I don't think that seems very funny and it kind of lingers a little bit too long. I kind of like the idea that the Russians um, have little like forest campfire dance parties. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I like it humanizes them because at the end they have to find some common ground. So like, they're literally just like us. You know, they, I think the, the title may even refer to that, like, you know, spies like us, spies like us, you know, but yeah, Vanessa cool. Angel's pretty freaking hot. Yeah. I was really surprised. I didn't realize she was in this movie. <laughs> Good on Dan Aykroyd for, uh, for having himself get paired up with her at the end. Yeah, well, I mean, he's doing okay. He's married to Donna Dixon. Right? I know, but Chevy Chase gets to kiss Donna Dixon a bunch of times in the movie and Dan Aykroyd. I love the scene where they're kissing in the tent and Dan Aykroyd like pokes his his head in, and he's like, "Give me a break," <laughs> because he, he, he could almost imagine that like on the set that Chevy Chase was probably like, "I'm fucking your wife. I'm fucking your wife." Everyone's hooked up because they think the end of the world is imminent. Um, Chevy Chase goes like, "You guys had a tent, <laughs> right?" Yeah, <laughs> they're boning in the snow. <laughs> Boning in the snow, everyone. <laughs> Hashtag boning in the snow. Oh man! But yeah, he he gives himself a, a you know a pretty good pretty good match with Vanessa Angel as the uh, as the the beautiful Russian. Just just you know hanging out in her lingerie in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes no sense, but it's great. It is. Oh, man. Wants to feel the cold air on her skin. You know, it's just yeah. like being real. <laughs> I, I'm not sure they could do the same um, the same joke with the two Russian guys who who obviously are are gay and you don't know that they're gay until that moment comes where they finally want to like profess their love to one another. Um, in this day and age, I'm not sure you could get away with doing that because it's not a joke anymore. Uh, but back in the 80s, it was obviously less, you know... Well, I don't know. I didn't think it was uh, that joke. It's just, you know, I mean, the movie's farcical, certain, certainly, but, like, you know, I don't think there's anything, I don't know, offensive in that scene. You yeah, know? you're probably right. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're all very touchy these days about everything, so. Yeah, okay. Touchy-feely. Mm. Anything else uh, you liked, disliked about the movie? Oh, I think they I think they look pretty good in those fur coats and hats. <laughs> yeah, they look pretty warm. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And that's the you know, that was obviously the poster image and the DVD cover image and so like that's when you think of spies like us, I think them in those in those costumes is like the first thing that you think of. Sure. Yeah. So her I didn't I didn't look up whoever the uh whoever did the costumes, but 
well, just just keep in mind whoever did the costumes for that was also responsible for the alien outfits. <laughs> yeah, they can't all be home runs. I I do love that in the uh, interrogation, uh, whatever you want to call it, like the Doctor Zhivago, the, yeah, Doctor Zhivago and Reds posters. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I forgot that. That was <laughs> the the shootout is okay. When I saw that, I, la- I, 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 I smirked out loud. Yeah. Like, mm. I, the shootout is okay. I think there's a few funny moments. Um, yeah, I like I like it when... uh got the scene where Dinah Croyd, like, he run, he, uh, he, he burst in, but he doesn't hit anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, just seeing Dan Aykroyd with a gun reminds me of Gross Point Blank, which is a movie that I love, so, like, there's that, too, like... You guys should definitely watch Gross Point Blank if you haven't seen it. Yeah. It's, it's probably the last great comedic performance by Dan Aykroyd. Um, but there's that moment where, like, uh, Fitzhume's handcuffs get shot off, like, by pure chance. And, uh, and he's like, hey, look at this. Did you do that? And, and Aykroyd's response is priceless. He has this great look, and he's like, yeah, I did that for you. <laughs> And then you got like Chevy like tossing the grenade back, you know, which he basically just stands up in the middle of a firefight and gives the most like girlish like toss like back into the into the cabin. Kind of like um, kind of like Brick from Anchorman. Just, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, walk through fire. <laughs> or uh, uh, Donnie Yen in Rogue One. That's spiritual. I'm I'm one with the force. The force is with me. Is that how that goes? No, that's Chevy Chase though. He's not his mind. His mind is <laughs> Chevy is. I don't want to keep talking about Chevy, but like Chevy is such a great like he he's a legit romantic leading man like type. Like you you really kind of buy why women are attracted to him. Um, he's very odd looking, but it, he's also handsome. It's kind of weird. Uh, he's very tall. You know, and uh, and he's kind of suave. He's a little bit suave. Um, so like he he can do like really dumb, uh, you know, physical humor like pratfalls and stuff, which he does in this movie too. Like in that scene, uh, Ackroyd like jumps over like um, a pile of logs to like go get the horse, and Chase tries to do the same thing and falls off of the the logs. Back. Yeah, back. falls backwards. Right. Yeah. So, like, he's good at that, but he's also really good at, like, the scene in the tent with Karen. Um, he's very charming. You know, like, the, the, the idea, like, he's got that line, he's like, oh, Karen, our first fight. Like, you know, he's, you really buy him in, in that stuff. The same thing with, like, uh, like Fletch and Seems Like Old Times. Like, he, he really sure. kind of sells that stuff. I do like his clumsiness. I mean, that's a common thing. That's one of his... Uh one of his go-tos for comedy. It was his- when he was on SNL too. He like, he was one of the best at Pratt Falls. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't mean to turn this into a CJ loves Chevy chase uh, episode, but you know, there you have it. Well, I mean, if, if you guys have any takeaway that, you know, is that CJ would like to bone Chevy chase. In the <laughs> well, maybe not now, but maybe 30 <laughs> years ago, <laughs> Chevy chase 30 years ago, but you know, That's good. That's good water right there. I just finished my tea. Um, cool. Well, uh, if you have anything else you want to talk about or, or you want to wrap this up? I feel 
feel like we've uh, covered all the parts I wanted to discuss. Yeah. I'm sure I'll re- recall something, like, in a day or two. We could probably spend the next, you know, ten minutes just going over some of our favorite lines, but, you know, that's not really... We don't need to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's not productive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking for the Burt Reynolds Theater. Yeah. Might as well just watch the movie, guys. <laughs> I I do love in that interrogation scene where they're like, what are your objectives? And he's like, well, you know, I object to taking a girl out and buying her dinner, and, and then she won't put out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's man. a line you couldn't be able to use that today. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, well, you could, but it, it's very chauvinistic. But it was chauvinistic back then, too, so. Um, but yes, very funny. So good uh, pick. There you go. Yeah. Nice pick. Thank you. So, um... (laughs) I was waiting for you to say, what are we doing next week? Yeah. (laughs) Gave you a little bit of time. You said you were going to think about it. I really didn't think about it at all. (laughs) Okay. uh, What's coming out in theater soon? We Uh, should do Mission Impossible. Let's do the first Mission Impossible. First one? Well, yeah, the original. Okay. Not the TV show, the Tom Cruise one. Another spy movie? Mm, all right. We can rethink that. Yeah. That's, that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking, so. Well, we've got six weeks before the new Mission Impossible comes out, so we could do that four weeks from now if we wanted to. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, we'll think about it. We'll, uh, A lot of people will be pretending to be other people. Yes. I guess that's what movies are in general, though, in it. Just a little bit. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, well, uh, we will we'll figure out what we're going to do next week. Uh, but in the meantime, where can people find you on the internet, Mr. Cesar? Of course. You can find me at filmsmash.com or on Twitter at JuniorBeho. And you can find me on Twitter at SettingTheFrame. Uh, so thank you guys for joining us. Cesar, thank you. Yeah, thanks, CJ. Thank you all. Uh, I hope you guys rewatch and enjoy Spies Like Us. And we will see you next week. See you guys. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. For any inquiries related to Celluloid Jelly, please email settingtheframe at gmail.com.